So we're in a series called Not Your Sunday School Jesus, and what we're talking about is looking at some famous stories about Jesus, and then maybe looking at them through a different lens, or maybe uh, seeing some things that we might not have seen before, or maybe you weren't taught uh, in Sunday school, if you, if you ended up growing up in Sunday school, and for those of you who are my age, that meant a felt board, right, with a flannel graph, and you'd put little Jesus up there, and you'd peel him off, and, and then there'd be like a Zacchaeus would be somewhere, and you'd have all these women at the well, and you'd have a well, and then some kid would steal Jesus. which is a sin, come to find out. Uh, you have to give Jesus back. You can't just put him on your nightstand. Jeez, your mom says, why do you have Jesus? I'm like, we all need Jesus, mom. Anyway, so, so we're in a, uh, another famous story about Jesus. Um, and uh, you, you might have heard it before or not heard it before. It's, he, he heals this man who was born blind. And for some of you who are skeptical of the Bible, and maybe you're new to the Bible, you would read a story like that and you'd say, mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know if uh, I can believe those things. And, and I totally get that. I understand it. I think you should go to the Bible skeptical. I really do. Um, because that way you are informed as you move forward in your faith. And um, I've had certain times when I was skeptical about something in the Bible. But I believe this story actually happened. And I believe it gives some insight into who Jesus is, and I also believe it's practical for today. Now, we might not have um, uh, as many healings as Jesus did, or it might look different, or we have a healing, but it's, it's not Jesus doing it. And the, this particular healing was really bizarre. And so I'm going to just set up um, what's happening. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a Jewish feast. And all of the temple is packed because this was a very special feast. And on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, what they would do um, is they would put these four stands, giant stands, in what we call the court of, or what they called the court of women. That women were allowed to be in that particular court. Uh, if you took another uh, thing closer to the Holy of Holies. Only the men could be there. That was just their thing. I don't know why. But they're in the court of women, they have these four giant stands. And on those giant stands are four big bowls filled with oil. And the wicks of that, that would start that, were the old garments of the priests. So they would, they would recycle those and make, turn them into to wicks. And so they would light these bowls. And one scholar says... Uh, um, that it, it, it felt like all of Jerusalem was lit. And so you've got this setting, 16 big bowls of oil that are burning. And Jesus walks right up in front of them and he goes, I am the light of the world. Isn't that beautiful? That's the setting where Jesus says that. It says here, and Jesus spoke to him, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I believe still today that Jesus is the light of the world. And I believe that if you're in a place in your life where you feel like it's a dark time, I honestly believe that Jesus can bring light to that situation. Well, what happened was, as you can imagine, because Jesus crashed their tabernacle party uh, and says the light of the world, the Pharisees freak out. 
And they just start going after Jesus. You, you are just, you're only giving testimony to yourself. You need another witness and all that. And Jesus is just so calm and cool. He goes, look, even if I don't have another witness, what I'm telling you is true. And he's just so calm. And they're just ramping it up, ramping it up, ramping it up. And so right after this dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees comes uh, this particular story we're going to see. They come upon this man who was born blind. Now, you know, for us, if you, when you walk out from the patio um, and uh, just before you remove your shoes to go back into the parking lot, um, you'll see these bumps down there. You know, you, if you've ever been at Costco and you have all sorts of stuff and you run over those bumps in the cart and your, your teeth fall out, uh, it, it, it's, they're the same bumps. And that's if someone can't see very well or is blind, they know when they're entering a parking lot. If you're crossing the street and you hear a chirping sound on the, on the thing to cross the street, that's because if there's somebody blind, they need to know they're stepping onto the street. And when the light is green, if you're in an elevator and it tells you what floor you're on, that's for someone blind that can't, see uh, what to push braille right we have uh, some of the uh, the elevators have braille on the on the thing so that someone in antiquity when this took place none of that as a matter of fact they believed that God did this to you for some reason and that's what they believed and so if you were blind you had no chance uh, to get married you had no social status whatsoever. You would come out of the womb, you would be blind, and then you would become a beggar, essentially. That's how you made your living. You would go to the temple, and you would beg. And so this is where we, we find them. So the disciples say this to Jesus. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They asked Jesus. It, had, it has to be something, because here's the theology. And, and if you have this theology, I understand. If either God can control people being blind, or he can't. And so I'm going to believe that he can, and so he must have allowed this on purpose. They must have done something wrong. I don't know if you know anyone who has a theology similar to that. If you're struggling in your faith, um, you might be asking yourself a similar question of, how can bad things happen in the world? Can't God just fix them? And I respect that. There are some great scholars, uh, atheist scholars, that use that as the backbone of some of their thought, and they do a good job of articulating it. And so I, I understand that. This is what they ask him. Now, then Jesus says something that you might take a little bit of offense to. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if you're a careful reader of the Bible, you might go, so Jesus, you're telling me that God allowed this person to be blind for all this time just so that he could show off later. And if you were to ask yourself that question, it's a logical question. I want to take one little sidetrack real quick because the Greek, the way the Greek sets up is uh, different. You could also translate this. Well, he goes on and he says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, he says it again, of course, with my typo there, I am the light of the world. Now, what happens is there's this thing called a purpose phrase in Greek, uh, in order that, or this, because of this, or this is because, that's a purpose phrase, the purpose phrase. In John, they almost all come before the, the 
the actual things, and this one it's after. But if you were to translate it with it before, this is what it would say, which to me sounds more like Jesus, but we can argue over that later. I just wanted to show you because they don't teach you this in Sunday school. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it's still day. Just by taking that purpose phrase and putting it in front, which is what they did in the rest of John, you get this idea like, look, because the world's broken, we know that, that because we're running out of time, I'm going to heal this dude. He goes on, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he does something super wacky. And you're going to wonder why, and we'll find out later. Why would he do this? After saying this, he spit on the ground, not because he was annoyed, okay? Uh, and he made some mud with his saliva. So he like spits and he makes like this little paste and put it on the man's eyes. Now you guys probably know me long enough now. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. I just be like, Jesus, I'm good. I, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just beg. I'm kind of used to it now. Just don't, don't be touching me with your spit in my eyes. Okay, I don't want it. So, right? Well, he didn't see it coming. So, uh, <laughs> so I probably would have got, gotten fooled by Jesus. It would be too late. Um, now that I think about it, uh, I think Jesus is about the only person not allowed to put spit in my eyes. So that's, that's good. I, I, I trust him. He spits on the ground. Now, why would he do that? Because Jesus, all Jesus had to do was touch him. All Jesus had to do was think about it. I mean, like he, he didn't need to do that. Why, why does Jesus make up this mud paste to put it on this man's eyes? It doesn't make any sense at all. It's not like that's a prescription, right? Like it's not like, you know, anytime you pray for somebody blind, make sure you spit on the ground and make a little mud pie out of it. You know, it's, 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 it's not that. What is it? Well, we're going to find out in just a little bit. Then he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, this is really cool because this particular pool ha held all the water that they used for this Feast of Tabernacles. So Jesus is completely hijacking the Feast of Tabernacles, which he's allowed to do because he's Jesus. And so he makes up this mud paste. He t tells him to go wash in this pool. The guy goes and washes, and he comes home seen. You know, sometimes we race past these stories so fast. Jesus completely changed this dude's life. Completely. His life will never, ever be the same. He doesn't need to beg anymore. He has the prospect of, of being married. He's not under his parents, doesn't need to be under his parents' roof. We'll find out later that he's actually an adult. But he comes home seen. You know what else is interesting? He's never seen Jesus. He had to go to the pool, and then he goes home, and Jesus is gone by that time. He doesn't even get to see the Jesus that healed his sight. His neighbors and those who'd formerly seen him begging asked, is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Because honestly, I mean, if we're honest, just in our humanity, that's really hard to believe. <laughs> that's really hard to believe that that was the guy begging and all of a sudden you see him and your, your conclusion would be like, no, that's not him because the guy begging was blind <laughs> and this guy isn't. So it can't be the same guy. They ask a really logical question. Some claim that he was. 
No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. That's what he says. Well, I am the man, I guess. That's what he says. And so there's this just, you can imagine, this guy saying like, Jesus healed me, I was blind, he healed me. And they say, how then were your eyes open, they asked. Wouldn't you? I mean, you'd ask the same thing. What happened? Did you get LASIK? I mean, how did, how did, that, how did that work? He replied, and watch how he identifies Jesus. The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. They asked him, where is this man? He asked. They asked him. And then he says something uh, that is really difficult to say. It used to be very difficult for me to say. Now I'm very used to it. But when you become a follower of Jesus, uh, oftentimes you'll find that people will have questions. They'll see a change in your life. You'll be like this blind man who was walking in darkness and now you're walking what we would say in the light, in the light of Jesus. And your life begins to transform because you start noticing things like um, uh, th things that used to trip you up, that used to, maybe you ha had an anger problem and as you bring those to the Lord and as you bring your anxiety to God and as you're surrounded by other people in this journey for you, your life begins to change and people say, what, what happened? And you say, well, Jesus changed my life. How, how can you believe in Jesus? What about this? What about that? I want to give you three little words you can use in any conversation about Jesus or about the Bible. I don't know. It's hard to feel comfortable with I don't know, isn't it? Especially if somebody's asking you about your faith. I'll, get, I'll have people ask me all the time. Here's one of the problems with being a pastor. You get into a group of people and, and you know, you're on the golf course or whatever because that's all pastors do anyway. Um, and, and, you know, you're in a group, you're at a party or whatever, and then somebody comes around and says, what do you do? And you go, I'm a pastor. <laughs> no, you go, I'm a pastor. And you get one of two responses almost every time. Number one is, yeah, I need to get back to church. Like you just automatically heap guilt on them because you're a professional at that. And you just make people feel guilty. It's fantastic. Um, that's the one thing. The other thing is they go, I got a question. And then you're just like, oh, no. It's going to be about creation or something. I don't know. Uh. You go through all the verses in the Bible that everybody always has questions about. And you're like, it's going to be one of those. You know what I've gotten really comfortable with saying to the answer of those questions? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. It's, uh, yeah, I struggle with that too. Yeah, that is a hard one. I can see why that would be hard. Because my faith is not based on my ability to answer questions. Your faith is not based on your ability to make the right question. Your faith is based on your relationship between you and your Lord. I wrote this down. You don't have to explain Jesus to experience Jesus. My faith is so secure at this point in my journey that I just, I just feel comfortable with I don't know. And you know what I've found? is that as I get more comfortable with I don't know, the people around me are more comfortable with me not knowing. I went to visit someone in the hospital. They weren't a follower of Jesus yet. And uh, they, had a, uh, they had a question. Um, and the question was about what we'd kind of talked about earlier. How in the world 
Can there be a God and there be this much pain and suffering in the world? And they went on and they articulated this question very well. They were a really smart person and all that. And they get to the end. And I said, I don't know. And you know what they said to me? Yeah, it makes sense. It's a pretty big topic. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it is. I said, yeah, thanks. I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I can, that's kind of what I believe. I said, well, great. We're, we're, we're on the same page. <laughs> there, there we go. But we get so caught up in, oh, boy. Oh, I'm, I'm basing my life on Jesus. I can't explain everything. You don't have to explain Jesus to experience Jesus. So here's what they do. They, they ha- he's with his neighbors, and they're freaking out. Obviously, he was blind, and now he can see. And so they do what anybody would do. They uh, brought him to the Pharisees. <laughs> because the Pharisees were the ones in charge. They were the power brokers. They, if you had any spiritual question, you went to the Pharisees. They were smarter than everybody. They were more spiritual than everybody. Right? They, were, they, they dressed in robes. They had these um, beautiful cords that would come down, and these, each cord would mean something about how important you were. And they'd wear these things called phylacteries, which is a box on your head with scripture. It's like a fanny pack for your head, okay? <laughs> and you'd put scriptures in there, and then when you wanted to get to a scripture, you'd just be like, zip, oh, hmm. And you'd close it back up again. And so that, that was it. It's like a, it was a box and very ornate, you know, really great. So they wanted to know. They took them to the Pharisees, to these brilliant people. And now we get to the problem. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. And you're not allowed to make mud on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to do anything on the Sabbath. And you're not allowed to go to the pool of Siloam and wash on the Sabbath. It's as though Jesus goes like this. The disciples are like, hey, this guy born blind, was that his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus is like, nah, I think I'm just going to heal him. Hey, what day is it? It's the Sabbath. Sweet. And he gets down. And the disciples are like, oh, gosh, here he goes again. Can't you just touch the dude? Can't you just blow on him or just do it like on the slide, like tap him? I mean, can't, do, you have to, do you have to start making mud, Jesus? I mean, come on. This is crazy. This is, so that's what happened. So the Pharisees are like giddy at this point. Therefore, the Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. Because they, they, they want to know. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. And the Pharisees are like, got him. We got him. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked a really great question. How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. They turned to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Okay, right there, they admit that a miracle just happened. Like a miracle just happened. And they're arguing over the Sabbath. How, how does that happen? Oh, I see it happen all the time, starting with me, where I miss the whole point because I'm getting hung up on the technicalities of the Bible or the technicalities or something else. So we're not that far away from being Pharisees, or at least I'm not. You guys are fine. 
The man replied, he's a prophet. So now we go from he's gone in one day with his relationship with Jesus from the man they call Jesus to he is a prophet. They still did not believe he had been born, that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for his parents, the man's parents. So this is what's happening so far. Dude goes to the, to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a great day for beggars because there's a whole bunch of people and they feel real spiritual at the time. He's begging. Jesus heals him or, or puts mud on his eyes. He goes all the way to the Pool of Siloam. On his way back home, he's, he's healed. And then they take him, bring him back to the tabernacle. Now they're going to go back to his house and get his parents. Who now? So it's just a long day for this guy, okay? Is what I'm trying to say. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. And then they throw him under the bus. Watch this. this is, I love this family, by the way. This is just like, you'll see more how dysfunctional they are. But how he can see now and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Chuck, why don't you talk to him about, you know, that's his name, Chuck. Why don't, you, why don't you tell him how? Now watch what we learned. His parents said this. His parents threw his son, their son under the bus because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that if anyone had acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Parents, come on. You can do better than that. Throw your poor kid under the bus like that. And so that, that, that's what they're doing. Now, now, we might read this and go, get thrown out of the synagogue. Who really cares? Like, I'll just go to the synagogue down the alley, you know. Uh -uh, there's no such thing. This is your community. This is, this is it. This is your spirituality. This is your relationship with God. The synagogue was a great, great place for you to be because it was all your connections and it was how you got caught up on stuff. To be thrown out of the synagogue was horrible. You know, if I threw you out of here for not covering your tires, you just go to another church. There's like a church every two miles around here. I know there's not. No, there's not. I was, yeah, you can't go to another church. That was terrible. <laughs> so they're scared, and the, and the Pharisees would put this over people. And then he says this, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. Just a pro tip, don't call Jesus a sinner, okay? Then he watched what he says. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. And he says this great evangelistic tool. If you ever want to know how to share your faith, some people get all caught up and you've got to learn all these apologetics and you've got to know the facts and the figures and what if you get asked a question you don't know the answer to and those things are great. K keep learning all those things. But this is the best way, at least for me, to describe why I follow Jesus. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind. For me, I was in darkness. For me, I was living for myself. For me, I was mired in sin. And the more I become like Jesus, or at least attempt to, the more my eyes are open to what's really important. That's what he says. We don't have to explain Jesus to experience Jesus. So they asked him again, God, this guy must be so frustrated. They asked him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And you can tell the guy's frustrated because he says this, I've told you already and you did not listen. 
And then he says this. This is such a good jab to the Pharisees. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciple too? Which, <laughs> like, does it sound like it? Does anyone have a little brother or little sister? I mean, does this not sound like, like every conversation you had with your sibling? Like, hey, do you want to be, you love Jesus. La, la, la. I could just watch them chasing them all around. I'll kill you, okay? Well, guess what they do? They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, I don't know why they use the word fellow, uh, but dude, but as for this dude, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, the, now this, the blind man, because here's what I'm thinking is happening to the blind man. I think he's like, man, they could throw me out of this, the synagogue. Would I, would I still be able to see? Because that's a really big deal. Oh, I can still see? Oh, yeah, okay, fine, you can throw me out. Like, there's nothing you can do to I've spent my whole life begging. And Jesus comes and changes my life. There's nothing you can do to me, say to me, insult me. So they insult him. And he says, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Fellas, <laughs> I was blind and now I see. You have to figure that out on your own. I'm just telling you what's happened in my own life. When I talk about my relationship with Jesus, I can only tell you what has happened in my life and what has happened in the many, many, many other people's lives that I know that follow him and are making him Lord of their lives? And then they said this, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. That's how far they were willing to go because he upset their complete power structure, their worldview, how they believed the scriptures. And then all of a sudden you get this. Now, Jesus is gone, right? Jesus hasn't been in the picture for this whole story. He heals him, and he's like, guys, let's get out of here. It's going down, you know? Jesus heard that he had thrown him out. And when he found him, because he's like, what? They threw him out? Let's go find that guy. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, again, he's never seen Jesus before. So I wonder if he's like, I recognize that voice. I think he's the guy that, right before I got healed, somebody was yelling out, I'm the light of the world. And that to get rid of the darkness in your life, you need to come to me. So I wonder, sometimes I read a little too much into the Bible, when he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, who is he, sir? Like, playing along in the game, like, I think this is him. I think this is it. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Now, isn't that the most beautiful picture, at least for me? This, for me, this captures so much of the heart of Jesus. I'll bet Jesus had a huge grin on his face. It says in Hebrews, I, I mention this a lot, that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. I don't know if you knew that or not, 
But if, if, you, if you think of solemn Jesus, like, like stick Jesus or like um, somber Jesus, yes, he got sad at times. Sometimes he was moved so much with compassion, he broke down. But Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy, and I think he said, the one speaking to you right now. And for the first time, this man not only sees, but he sees Jesus. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. As the worship band comes back up, um, I don't know where you are in your, in your journey. Um, maybe you're just at the first uh, informational stage, the, the man called Jesus. You believe he was a good man. You believe that he did good things and said good things and loved people. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe, maybe you're just starting to like, just look at the Bible as, a, as something that you should read or what have you. Uh, maybe you're like, yeah, I could see him. I think he was more than just a historical figure. I could see him being a prophet or somebody used by God or whatever. Or maybe you're at this place now where you're like, oh man, I, I believe I'm, I'm there. I'm just like so there. And you don't even question this anymore. No matter where you are in that whole journey, he is the light of the world. He is the light that shines on your darkness, that can lift you out of the mire, that can get you through whatever you need to get through.